Welcome to the Complete Leader Podcast, giving leaders the tools and information they need to grow and change their worlds. Now here's your host, Dale Dixon. New ways to be creative. Welcome to the Complete Leader Podcast, everything you need to become a high-performing leader. I'm your host, Dale Dixon, alongside Ron Price each and every week. Ron, great to be with you. Hi, Dale. Great to be with you again. So if you're just finding this podcast for the first time, welcome. We're so glad to have you here. The whole idea is we go into a leadership competency deep each and every week. Those competencies are laid out in the book, The Complete Leader by Ron Price and Randy Lisk. This podcast uh, definitely goes alongside the book. You can also just listen to this podcast alone each and every week. So we're here to help you grow your leadership skills. This week, we're diving into the topic of creativity. And uh, it's all about adapting traditional and devising new approaches, concepts, methods, models, designs, processes, technologies, systems. We're going to get you creative at just about every level in the organization. And Ron, this is our third conversation about creativity on the podcast. Let's give listeners a quick review of what we've covered so far. Great, Dale. That sounds good. So in the first two conversations, uh, we started by talking about how most people don't think that they're very creative. As a matter of fact, we have research with tens of thousands of leaders. And when we ask them a series of questions around creativity, and then score that on a scale of zero to 100, the average score for leaders is 56 out of 100. Fortunately, we're not putting a grade on it because that would be a failing grade. So the first thing is that a lot of people have this idea that they're not very creative. And we define creativity simply as creating new ideas, how we generate them and how we apply them. And in this conversation, how we apply them in our exercise of leadership. We talked about how the biggest obstacles to being more creative are, first of all, we tend to judge our ideas too quickly. So if we can learn how to suspend judgment and more like a playful child, just enjoy generating ideas, even out of the box, off the wall, crazy, that that stimulates our thinking and it helps us to generate more ideas, which is actually going to improve our creative muscle, so to speak. The second thing, the second reason that we don't uh, exercise more creativity is just simply a problem of time. We're so busy trying to get through today's issues, solve today's problems, respond to all the requests, that we don't set enough time aside to be creative. Dale, I mentioned the story that I was working with the research and development group in Southeast Asia for a major global company. I, if I mentioned their name, you'd know them right away. And we spent a whole day just playing games to stimulate their creative juices. And then in day two and day three, we started using that creativity to solve problems. So what made day two and day three successful was we set aside the time to just think about what it means to be creative and to exercise, to practice that. So this is the second obstacle to being creative is we just don't set enough time aside for it. We talked about 
the idea that in reality, everybody's creative. It's a human endowment, but we're not all creative in the same ways. I explained a continuum that came out of the book, The Art of Thought by Graham Wallace, where at one end we have what we would call compos compositional creativity. This is the idea of being analytical and coming up with solutions to problems and really thinking in more of a linear way. And at the other end of the continuum, we have improvisational creativity. This is where we're not linear, where we go, start anywhere and go anywhere. It's where we're more imaginative and instinctual and intuitive. And that we all fall somewhere on that spectrum between compositional creativity and improvisational creativity in our comfort zone. But all of us can learn how to move back and forth on that continuum through practice. Mm. And it, what, oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that based on our experience working with leaders, we've discovered that, that everybody can understand where they're at on that continuum and how to grow it or how to expand it. So that's the first idea behind developing creativity as a skill is to realize there are a lot of different kinds of creativity. What are the kinds that come most naturally to you and how can you grow from there? And then you give us action steps. So let's go back to those action steps that you gave us to work on from the last two podcasts. Yeah, they're, they're actually quite simple, but not necessarily easy. So the first is start setting aside time to just build lists of ideas. Take a problem, take a, a, and, and to stretch yourself, you just take some topic and say, can I come up with 20, 30, 50 ideas around this topic? And you're exercising your creative skills. And over time, those get stronger and stronger. The second is learn how to list those ideas without making judgments. Learn how to not overanalyze. There's always time for being analytical later, and it's a valuable part of creativity. But in the front part, it tends to squelch creativity. And then third, see if you can observe where you fall on that continuum between instinctual and intellectual creativity or um, improvisational and compositional creativity. You know, I love the quote by Henry Thoreau, it's not what you look at that matters, it's what you see. And that's a great example of creative thinking. Absolutely. So when we finished up that last conversation, you said you wanted to talk about neuroscience and how it applies to creativity. And that sounds very interesting. So let's dive into that aspect of brain science and what it means for our creative juices. Well, first, I have to confess that I'm a layman. I know just enough about neuroscience to be dangerous. So I might not use exactly the right terms, but it's been fascinating for me to learn about it, even as a, I would say as somebody who wants to understand how to use it to develop my leadership skills. The study of neuroscience is literally exploding in this decade. You know, back in the 90s, uh, most neuroscientists didn't believe that there was any elasticity in our brain. They thought that pretty much from the age of 16 to 20, your brain got crystallized or became rigid, and that's what you had to work with the rest of your life. In the 90s and into the first years of the next century, they began to realize that that's not true, that in fact the brain is quite elastic and you can build new neural pathways or you can build new capacities in how you use your brain. And then more recently, in the last three, four, five years, they've discovered something that is just mind-boggling to anybody who's been following neuroscience, that you can actually manufacture new neurons. Now, this is mind-boggling 
Dale, because we thought that all your neurons are manufactured from about 42 days after you were conceived in your mother's womb until six weeks after you were born. And that after that, you couldn't manufacture anymore. And in fact, during that time, the average person generates or manufactures neurons at a rate of 9,500 every second. So that when you're born, you have over 100 billion of these neurons. And then they start sending out connections so that by the time you're three years old, you have over 100 trillion connections of these neurons between each other. So if you think about it, it's, maybe it's the original internet because what we see in the internet today is really just another demonstration of the way that the brain itself uh, functions. And I, actually, now that I think about it, maybe the original internet's the universe. <laughs> but the brain, at least, is an example of this. So the fact that we can now manufacture new neural pathways or grow or build new neural pathways and actually generate new neurons is really revolutionary in the field of neuroscience. And with the use of EEG equipment today, where we can measure brain waves at several different levels, we can now see where the activity and energy flows in the brain, all the way down to a message flowing from one of these 100 billion neurons to where it goes through the synaptic connections to connect with and communicate with other neurons. So this is, this is really just amazing that we can see the brain with this kind of detail today. And it's opened up a lot of new understandings about how the brain works and, and ultimately what part creativity plays in the way that our brain functions. Hmm. And then you've done a lot of study you said you're a layman, but it's fascinating to listen to you talk about how the different parts of the brain function through this process. Yeah, at a high level, Dale, we could say that there are three major parts of the brain. And I think when we try to dissect it with two bold of lines, that um, it's probably not accurate because there's an inner relationship or an interconnectedness between these three major parts. But in general, we start with a brain stem, which is often referred to as the primitive part of the brain. And this is where functions like body temperature and heartbeat and other kinds of autonomous processing occur and take place. Things that we don't have to think about, but we do have this computer in us that's helping to keep us alive. The second part of the brain, which is in the lower back part of our head, is called the limbic system. And this is the emotional core of the brain. So in reality, it's not the only place where emotions show up, but it's the core. It's the home of emotions for the brain. And I refer to this as the emotional present part of the brain. What I mean by that is that when we're triggered with fear or with love or excitement or joy or anger, that this is the part of the brain that's being activated and it's releasing hormones into our body that give us that, um, that flight or fight, or we could also say the flock or the freeze response that's emotionally based rather than logically based. And then the third part of the brain is actually the largest part. This is the most developed part of the brain. It's um, called the cerebrum, but it's also referred to as the cerebral lobes. So this goes from the front of our head, of our forehead, from our brow, all the way back to the back of our head, down about to the middle of the back of our head. And this is where most of the analytical work that takes place, but it's also this larger part of the brain is where we see most of the development of creativity. 
So let's connect all the dots and understand how the brain functions to help us be creative. Okay, so I'm, I'm uh, again going to present it as a layperson. So any neuroscientists that are listening to our podcast, I'm sure could add a lot of depth and maybe even uh, improve the accuracy of the way that I describe it. But the prefrontal cortex is the front part of the brain of this cerebrum that we talked about. And this is where we do most of our compositional or analytical thinking. So this is where the compositional part of creativity takes place primarily. And then the middle and back part of this outer part of our brain is where we do most of our improvisational or our imaginative thinking. So it's the relationship between the front part of the cerebrum and the back part of the cerebrum that creates this continuum between compositional and improvisational thinking. I hear people talk about left brain, right brain. You don't hear people split it up as front brain, back brain. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. It, it, this, this idea that the right side of our brain or the right hemisphere of our brain is for creative thinking and the left hemisphere is for analytical thinking, according to my understanding, has been disproved right now, although it's still very popular and a lot of people refer to it. But neuroscientists are saying, no, nah, that's not really what's happening. And my own experience, I've been in a brain science lab three times now where they've had me hooked up to an EEG and they're measuring seven different levels of brain waves in my head while they expose me to different concepts, different ideas, or when I'm, while I'm practicing mindfulness, things like that. What, my, what I've discovered through that and through the research is that instead of the right side of the brain being more creative and the left side of the brain being more analytical, it's really more the front and the back. So in reality, there is a difference between the right and left side of the brain. Uh, when I've been hooked up to an EEG, the, the right side of the brain responds with activity and energy to concepts or subjects that I want to avoid. And it's actually the stronger part of the way the brain functions in almost all of us. So there's a stronger response in our brain to things we don't want or that we want to avoid than there is to things that we want or that we embrace. So the left side of the prefrontal cortex is where I respond with activity and energy to things that I agree with or things that I like. So let me give you a few examples of how this works. They would throw the name of one of my grandchildren up on the screen and immediately the left side of my free prefrontal cortex in the gamma waves, which are the subconscious waves of my brain, would come alive with energy. You can see it by the colors that they create when they turn this into a brain map. So that would indicate that I have positive feelings, a desire to embrace, to agree with this idea of having a granddaughter. When they would throw something up, like one of the things they threw up on the screen was they spelled my name wrong. And immediately, my subconscious mind responded with a lot of energy and activity on the right side saying, no, that's not right. That's not right. And then when they threw up the word chocolate chip cookie, my brain had an argument. There was color on both sides. The left side was saying, oh, I'd love to have that chocolate chip cookie. It looks so good. And the right side was saying, that's not good for you. That's not good. So I was having an argument. What's amazing, Dale, is all this was happening in my subconscious mind, and they were taking pictures of my brain responding. They took six pictures of my brain responding before I had time to read what was on the screen. So subconsciously, I was responding before I responded consciously. So this is how we now know that 
the front part of the brain, the left side is for agreement, the right side is for avoidance or disagreement. Now, in addition to that, I got one of these, uh, it's a commercialized EEG, so it's a headband that I wear, I actually do it every morning for 10 minutes, and um, I can watch my brainwaves while I have this headband on. It's showing me where the activity is in the front and the back, on the right and on the left. And I'll, I have to confess, it's not as accurate as if you go into a lab with a more sophisticated EEG. But for me, it's interesting because I can see activity happening in my brain. And I can see that when I engage in something that's more improvisational, the back part of my brain comes alive. You can see a lot more energy there. When I'm engaging in something that's more analytical or compositional, you can see the front part of my brain. And one of the ways that I've thought about my brain being a muscle is I've been experimenting with activating parts of my brain that I might not use as often as a way of developing more creativity as a capacity. So there's a specific program I have that plays 12 minutes of music, and I listen to that each morning for 12 minutes. I close my eyes, stay calm, just focus on the music. And this music has been chosen specifically to stimulate parts of the brain that might not otherwise be activated or utilized during the day. So some days I love the music, some days it's a little bit grating and not so enjoyable. Some of it's very peaceful, some of it's more, um, I would say, violent. And it's fascinating because I can watch the way my brain is functioning while I'm listening to this music. And it's the one area that I've seen a lot more activity using this system is I see a lot more activity in the back part of my brain, the improvisational part of my brain. And as a leader, I can tell you that over the years, though I've used improvisational creativity, I tend to be more of an analytical or compositional thinker when it comes to creativity. So I know I've just unloaded a whole bunch on you, but the idea is you can grow creativity. You're given it as a human endowment, but you can grow it much like the way that you train a muscle. Awesome. So I know uh, we've got listeners that are just as curious as I, and we're getting no compensation from any of the brands that I'm going to ask you to list just in case somebody's curious and wants to go shopping and uh, take a look at these products that you mentioned. But uh, I'm curious about the headband. What, what's, the, what's the name? The name of the headband is Muse, M-U-S-E at muse.com. And then there's an app that that when you get the headband itself, it gives you a program for practicing mindfulness. But in addition to that, if you look for apps on Apple or Android, there's a specific app that shows you the activity of the brainwaves that's separate from the app that comes with the headband itself. The music that I'm listening to comes from a company called Revolutioner.com revolutioner.com and and they provide you with new music every day uh, I, they say that f i i bought the lifetime subscription to it wasn't that expensive they say that you're going to continually hear new music because they want to stimulate stimulate your brain in new ways i'm far from getting to the end of what may be what they have available so i don't know about that promise but i know that i've never heard the same music twice okay well, it's, it's fascinating. So let's get uh, to the practical side of this. And what, what are your advice for us now that we understand more about brain science, its impact on creativity? How can we really exercise it to grow our creative skills as leaders? Well, I'm going to go back to some of the original ideas. First of all, number one, start building a quantity of ideas. 
set aside the quality aspect until later because this is going to grow the back part of your brain. It's going to grow the improv improvisational side of your brain. And better yet, number two, collect these ideas with other people. In this case, that old adage that two minds are better than one is absolutely true. There's a lot of research that says that when you work on developing creative skills with other people, it accelerates your growth. So two or three or four or five. I think if you go much beyond five or six that you get into a problem where you have people who are spectators and others that are participants. So don't let the group get too large, but work with other people and it actually feeds your own ability to become more and more creative. Third, we've already talked about this, but observe where your natural creativity is stronger. If it's stronger on the analytical side, then think about how you could get, so to speak, outside of the box about how you could begin to become more imaginative, more improvisational in your thinking. If you find yourself always being improvisational, always having crazy ideas or lots and lots of unique ideas, how could you become more analytical or compositional? So think about balancing those two sides of creativity in the way that we talk about it. And then face when you're faced with a problem or a challenge, so this is number four. Consider using creativity more before you start coming up with a solution. Pause. Don't feel that you have to solve it with the first or the second or the third idea. As a matter of fact, Almost never are the first two or three ideas the best ideas. So keep coming up with more options, more alternatives. Look at it from new angles, new ways. And the more that you approach problems or opportunities in this way, the more that you'll be developing. And I would say, think about the rhythm between improvisational and compositional creativity. So you may come up with a lot of crazy ideas, then go into analysis or compositional creativity, then go back again to the improvisational, then come back to the composite. So as you learn how to, let's say, dance between those two kinds of creativity, your creativity muscle is going to get stronger and stronger. Mm, that's fantastic. Well, you have uh, given us a lot to think about today. Thank you so much. Any final words for us? Well, please remember that we all have creative talent. How much you take this talent and turn it into a skill is up to you. Fantastic. Ron Price, author of The Complete Leader. It's the book. It's the podcast. There is a website for you as well with a lot of resources. I encourage you to go to thecompleteleader.org and check out those resources available to you. While you're out there surfing around, do us a big favor. Would you rate and review this podcast in your favorite podcast listening app? We would definitely appreciate this. If this episode was helpful to you, be sure and forward it on to someone who, would, uh, who you think would benefit from listening to the podcast. And be sure to subscribe if you have not done so already so that you are receiving a little nugget of creativity and leadership skill building each and every week through the podcast. This is the Complete Leader Podcast, everything you need to become a high-performing leader. Thanks for listening to the Complete Leader Podcast. Find more online, thecompleteleader.org.